Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us just after 4 p.m. Sunday, November the 22nd, 2009. This is Stephen Molyneux from, oh, you know it, Free Domain Radio. Um, a few bits of news and business, and then we will get down to the meat of the matter in, inside the fluff sandwich of my intros and outros. Um, the new website is uh, uh, almost ready to roll, which is why most of my technical people have been massively avoiding me all weekend. And we hopefully will be able to go live in that in the next couple of days. But boy, do we have some fantastic features for you. Let me just give you a quick rundown of the juice that is involved. Well, uh, we have uh, nice, juicy, full-text searches of all that you can imagine. Uh, on the home screen, we have latest blog posts, we have latest podcasts, we have latest videos, we have um, a multi-user blog, which uh, I'm going to start soliciting articles for, uh, and I'm going to uh, submit those to a general review from people on the site, uh, and those that get the most thumbs up will be, um, I will read them out once a week as a, as a podcast series. Uh, we have um, uh, a map where people can put their location so that if you're all interested in philosophy and want to find people nearby, you can do that. It's proportional width to the screen, which is, I think, very nice. Uh, you can browse by uh, media, by calendar, uh, by category. You can do full searches, and it dynamically tells you as you type what hits and what doesn't. And uh, that's some uh, nice and juicy stuff right there. And... Um, Let's just see. Let me remind myself what other juicy Von Goodyvilles we have. Oh, yeah. There are events. So when I have a call uh, coming up that's an open call, then uh, it will be published in the events page. You can download the events to your local reminder system so you'll be reminded them. Or you can sign up for an email reminder so that the system will email you if a call is coming up that you wanted to listen in on or join into. Uh, and that's, I think, pretty cool. Uh, so there's lots of good stuff in the uh, uh, in the new website, and I hope that you will uh, check it out when it goes live this week. And uh, of course, feedback is always welcome. It is a work in progress. If you have not donated in a little while, and you felt that the new website was good, as I think it is, it was not the cheapest thing to put together. And if you would like to chip in, that would be beyond appreciated. Freedomainradio.com, and I guess it'll be the donate along the left hand side, along the top. Uh, which will be uh, be very helpful. I also did a little video intro that's being spruced up by one of our graphics wizards uh, to uh, to philosophy. It's about a minute, which will be available as well. It's in the uh, it's in the about page. So um, that's cool. Um, uh, less uh, <laughs> less obtruse and more pressing uh, information we have uh, in the Molyneux household. Small words from the Isabelle. She has, over the last few weeks, she's just been going through this language spurt, this uh, language rocket ship trajectory. Uh, she now says a ball, uh, because we have this massive exercise ball, which is in the uh, living room, or I guess the, the formal room or whatever, which is empty. And uh, we bounce her and the ball around, and she's completely thrilled with that. And so she knows the word for ball. And oh, yes, she knows the word for egg which is quite exciting. Uh, she can spot an egg from about 4,000 miles, and then she jumps up and down and says, egg. Uh, she's, uh, uh, what other she knows? She know, oh, hello. She knows hello. She knows hands. Uh, she's pretty good with ears, both ears. In fact, when you say ears, she will grab one, and then she will wrench your head like a fireman opening a fire hydrant so that she can get to the other ear, because don't you know it, if she doesn't, apparently the world will end. So that's all, uh, <laughs> that's all pretty cool. And uh, so we have words, and... Uh, 
she's not quite uh, walking, at least she can't do more than take a step or two without, uh, without toppling, particularly, of course, as you can imagine, uh, when, I, when I tackle her. But um, uh, she is, um, uh, she's just delightful and wonderful, and uh, we hope that we'll post some videos. I'm sorry, I've just been so busy over the last 10 uh, days or so with this website uh, that uh, I haven't had a chance to post any videos, but I will because you all should see it. She's just staggeringly cute and, <laughs> and completely delightful. And, uh, and wonderful. Though she is going through a phase where she absolutely hates, hates, hates being on the change table. And uh, so uh, we have to put on this little Cirque du Soleil show with, uh, you know, hand puppets and fireworks and so on in order to keep her distracted while we do uh, the nasty business of parenting. So uh, it is... Uh, <laughs> It's, that is quite a challenge. Uh, and she's getting pre- pretty strong, right? So she, when, when she doesn't want to do something, you certainly know about it. But uh, I've also discovered that there's a library down the road which has uh, a, a children's area. And I didn't know this, of course, because <laughs> what am I doing hanging out before I have kids at the children's area? But uh, there are all these toys and stuff like that. And uh, it's, uh, it's pretty neat. She, she quite enjoys it, though. It's a little bit bewildered by some of the other children. It always seems like Lord of the Flies with other kids, at least for me. So I find it... Uh, <laughs> A bit of a challenge that way, but uh, you know, keeping her safe is uh, is number one, and so I just sort of roll around on the floor with her, which is uh, which is quite a lot of fun. So that's uh, uh, the news from there. Uh, I have developed, I think, an absolutely excellent argument for anarchy, which I won't go into here because I'm trying to come up with short videos, and the money is you video is actually going fairly viral. It's not uh, it's not doing too badly as far as that goes, but. Um, uh, it is, uh, it's a really, it's a damn good argument. It's even better than the one that's in everyday anarchy, which is that the state is proof that anarchy works. But, uh, I will, uh, I'll work on that this week. Uh, once the, um, the website stuff cools off a little bit, then I will get to work on that this week. And, uh, so anyway, that's, that's sort of the news of the weather. I've pretty much been buried in, in web coding and, and wrestling with vendors to get their controls to work. Uh, but uh, I'm very, very pleased with the website and the way it came out. Nice rotating menus all over the place and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, uh, if you, uh, have a chance to look at it, I did post the link on the message board. I would appreciate your feedback if you have any. So, so that's it for me. I think that uh, let's turn it over to the Borg brains of the outfit and to hear what is um, burning through your brains these days. Uh, and I would be more than happy to hear questions, comments, issues, problems, suggestions. Sprechen Sie you. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to mention that um, we, we do. If you're listening to this uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the, um, the chat room and you want it, to call in uh, using a phone if you don't have Skype or, or any of that kind of funky stuff, you can do so. I will give you the number in just a sec. But before you do it, if you could ask James to keep an eye because it rings on the server. So he's just got to keep an eye and answer it there. That would be excellent. Uh, the number is 315-876-9705. That's 9705. If you'd like to talk and you have no the Skypey, then uh, we can do it that way. Steph. Yes. Hi. Hello. Um, I would uh, I have a question for you. Um, uh-huh. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't really prepare anything. So. Uh, but see, I uh, I had a dream uh last night involving trying to keep my reputation clean um i was 
in a place where I, I didn't know anyone there, but the people were kind of out to sabotage my reputation. <sighs> um, and uh, there was this one person I went to. Uh, for I'm help. sorry. Just before, uh, and I, I have no problem doing. I have no problem talking about the dream, but yes. um, uh, I, I know some things about uh, your life that are not uh, general knowledge at the moment, and I'm not sure if we can do that without referencing those things. Um. Uh, okay, I wouldn't mind a few things. So, so we can go ahead. I just want to because I'm uh, then I because I, I don't I don't want to sort of not bring the knowledge that I have to bear, though, of course, I'll keep it all uh, as, as abstract as possible. But I just wanted to remind you that uh, I may need to touch on some of those things without being anything specific, uh, if we're going to do the dream, which I think would be would be a lot of fun. Okay. All right. So what was the uh, what was the dream? The dream was, uh, I was sort of at some kind of camp or something. Uh, I remember that I was like sliding down some kind of waterfall slash slope slash, I don't know, uh, it was kind of like a river or something. And I was with uh, some other people and I was on grabbing their hand. Uh, and we were all kind of sliding down the hill. Um, and that was kind of weird. And uh, all of these people, something happened where uh, some people started spreading things about me that weren't true. Uh, and then just uh, talking trash about me and I became concerned with my reputation and I went to I went to someone for help um, and, and I was telling them I was trying to tell them what was true and uh, but but their face kind of changed it at first they were normal, but then their face kind of changed into something like they had this predatorial look like mm, fresh meat kind of thing. And, and as soon as, as soon as that occurred, I started telling them all kinds of things that were not true about myself. Uh, all kinds of weird, just, uh, outlandish things. And, and I was getting frustrated because I didn't want because these things weren't true, and I was, and I, and I thought, oh man, now I've really screwed up my reputation, or you know, I've screwed. I'm like, I was feeling really embarrassed and frustrated and stuff. Um, but uh, then I talked with, um, uh, okay, I'll just call him Bob, uh, with Bob about it, and. question that arose was why do I even care about my reputation with such people so I mean that was the dream right okay okay good good interesting all right uh, standard disclaimer this is just my silly opinions uh, um, uh, over the internet but uh, that's not accredited this is just you know fun random uh, a creative look at, at dreams so that having been said let's let's look at the dream you're going down okay. a waterfall kind of slope river with some other people and you're grabbing their hands. Is that right? Or everyone's grabbing each other's hands. Well, yeah, everyone is grabbing each other's hands. Um, we're like holding our hands. Uh, we're, we're laying side by side or something. Right. So it's sort of like, um, I'm trying to think it's, it's like whitewater rafting, but there's no raft or, or is it, is it, is it that wild or is it more sedate? Yeah. It's a lot like whitewater rafting only without the white water. <laughs> 
so there's a kind of danger, right? Because, I mean, Whitewater, I've been, I mean, we actually, when I was, um, I guess, when I was CTO of the company that I co-founded, we took all of our employees to uh, to a weekend of, of whitewater rafting after we had a really good year, and uh, it, it's pretty intense. Uh, it's it, it's pretty uh, like if you weren't in a in a in a canoe uh, or a raft, I guess it's 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 kind of dangerous, right? I mean, there's rocks and and you can smash yourself up, and and you could you know one one bonk on the head and you can drown, even if you're a good swimmer, right? It is. Uh, you know what I should uh, should also add is the uh, the slope. It was smooth. And the water was uh, very thin, but and there were also like piles of dead leaves around. So I mean, it's a different. So it's not. It wasn't dangerous then. It was more like a water slide. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind of like that. But you know, I would say it was more dangerous than. Yeah. Okay, so in between, sort of where you're yeah. trying to avoid rocks and dying, and you know, a, a safe water slide. It's somewhere, somewhere in the middle, right? Right. Okay. Okay. Great. And then, so you, you're all grabbing your, each other's hands, and, and why are you grabbing each other's hands? To keep from from sliding um, toward the the side, like horizontally, like uh, I don't know. I mean, it's an important question, right? Because there's lots of reasons why you would do it, right? You might do it out of delight to want to, for want to want to share the excitement of the ride. You might do it because you're terrified. You might do it because somehow you think that if you're all together, you're safer. But as you say, if you drift off towards one side, is it is it that the ride would be over and you want to stay on it, or is it dangerous over there? Why is it that you wouldn't go off to one side? Um. Well, I did let go with of their hand. And that's when I, I mean, this is what I know, like, when I let go, I kind of, I was backsliding by myself, and I, I think I landed in a pile of dead leaves or something, or I hit it or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the only problem is I don't remember what happened after that. But, uh, you know... After I'm I sorry, then go, I must, I just, I want to make sure I understand oh, the sequence, okay. because at some point they start lying about you. Was that yeah. after you, you hit the leaves or that was after yeah um after i hit the leaves something happened that i just i just don't remember um okay yeah was it a different sorry was it was it a different environment when you found out that they were talking about you i mean because they would go sailing down uh this this water slide or whatever it is so you wouldn't hear them necessarily talking about you was it a different environment when you found that out yeah it was a different environment okay but it was the same people. Uh, yeah. Okay, it's a great dream. It's a great dream. Mm. All right. Um, I'll I'll tell you what what I think. Uh, it's a yeah, silly opinion time, but I'll tell you what I think, and you can tell me if it makes any sense. Okay. Um, it would seem to me that uh, uh, since you have taken a break uh, from your family, that uh, the 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 group. Uh, all going down this uh, dangerous slide, this waterfall. Uh, maybe uh, your family, you've taken a separation, right? So you've you've kind of peeled off, right? Right. And when we separate from uh, disruptive or dangerous or abusive groups, there is, of course, a tendency for those people to trash talk us, right? To to badmouth us, to spread slander or whatever, right? Yeah. And do you know why they do that? They're butthurt. 
I'm sorry? Uh, they're butt hurt. I don't know how to... Well, they're resentful about it, about me leaving. They're resentful about you leaving. Okay, go on. Um, and uh, perhaps they're also afraid of uh, what other people might think of them it, because I left, like, uh, their own reputation. So maybe they'll want to screw with my reputation uh, to, um, to offset anyone being curious about what actually happened, I guess. Yeah, um, I think I re- think that's certainly uh, okay. I think that's certainly some of it. Sorry, go on. Oh, if they can make me sound like like um, the bad person and or, or just something like uh, like the black sheep, and I left because I'm crazy or something, then they can maintain their harmony or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I think those are all excellent answers, and I'm not going to say that mine is any better than those, but but my okay. take on it would be something like this. I mean, there are lots of reasons, and I think everything that you say is true, but I think fundamentally when someone – like, let, let's imagine that there are a bunch of women uh, who know each other, right? They live on the same street or whatever, and they all have abusive husbands, right? Husbands who, who cast and drink and, you know, maybe hit them and, and, and put them down and, and, and control the finances and – and, you know, attack their, you know, fat, lazy, ugly, whatever, I put them down and, and so on, right? Um, <clears throat> if one of these women, you know, has the courage, the moral courage to uh, attempt to work things out, but with the understanding that abuse is not to be tolerated in personal relationships, abuse is not to be tolerated in any relationships, but the only ones that we really have control over are our personal relationships. And so this one woman... Um, decides, you know, goes to see a therapist and does all, all the right stuff, right? Tries to work it out, goes to see a therapist, but can't make any progress and simply will not live the rest of her life being put down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she leaves. She, she just leaves. And she tells her friends, of course, right? Or whatever, right? Now, it's a little easier sometimes to figure this stuff out when we put ourselves in someone else's shoes. What are her friends who are still in the abusive marriages, what are they going to feel? Um, they will talk trash about her? No, I ask what they're going to feel, not what they're going to do. Oh, oh, It's easier, um, right? It's easier to talk about what they're going to do, but we're trying to understand the motivation. I think that's what the dream is trying to tell you. Sorry, I I heard you wrong. Um, They'll feel anxious. Right, and why? I think. And, um... Okay, so if this lady leaves, but they all stay. No, no, we don't know that they're staying yet. We just oh. know that they know she's left. Okay. Um, can, can you recap? Um, sorry. No, no problem at all. It's, it's a tough one, right? So okay. there's, there's 10 women on the street. They're all in abusive marriages. One woman you know, tries to work things out, goes to a therapist, can't fix things, is not going to spend the rest of her life being abused, sits down with these women and says, I'm leaving my abusive husband, uh, uh, I've got the kids, I'm going here, I've got this, I'm going to get alimony, I'm going to get child support, I'm going to build a new life, I'm not going to put up with this one more day. And then she gets up and she leaves. What mm-hmm. is the emotion in the room of the other nine women? Uh, well... 
kind of surprised, I would say. Like, uh, it's kind of being like stirred out of a sleep, but not quite awakened. Stirred out of a sleep. That's a beautiful phrase. That really is. Stirred out of a sleep. That's <laughs> no, that really is. It's a beautiful, beautiful poetic phrase. It's beautiful. Uh, stirred out of a sleep. It's a little more than stirred, I would say. It's like electrocuted out of a sleep or jolted a <laughs> cattle product, lasered out of a sleep. Yeah. Right. right. So what yeah. do they feel? Like? So, so what do they feel? What do they feel? Um. Okay, so you know they're 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 startled, and then and then what? It depends on how they they take this. Right. They could. Be, I would say that they're going to pendulum between two poles of emotions. It's my you know I'm talking for nine theoretical women, which of course is what some bald guy in Canada can very easily do. But let's pretend that I have some idea what I'm talking about, and I think that they're going to swing between two pendulums, and you can think of uh, two hands, right? One is a fist and one is open. And the fist is rage and the open hand is hope. And when you have been beaten down for a long time and you see a crack in the prison wall, you see light coming in, illuminating the dust in your cell. You see somebody's made a break for it and you see a hole in the wall and you hear the guards coming and you don't know if you should run or you should stay. You feel hope and you feel terror and you feel rage. And part of you wishes that there was not that hole in the wall so that you wouldn't have to make the choice. Because if you choose to stay in the cell, you now know that you have chosen to stay in the cell rather than have been unjustly imprisoned. imprisoned. Right. Yeah. I can see that. Okay. Now, it's my belief. It's my opinion. It's a strong opinion. doesn't mean it's true. It's my belief. It's my opinion. That the reason people attack those who leave is so that they have an excuse for staying. Right? If there's a hole in the wall and somebody's made a break for it, then the people who who choose to stay, who don't choose to take a break for it, the people who choose to stay have to build a new prison. And that prison is called slander. Attack, abuse. Yeah. Right? Right. Because the old prison is no longer a prison because there's a hole in the wall and somebody got out, right? So it's not a prison anymore. So what are they going to do if they want to stay in prison? Which some victims do, unfortunately, right? They have to build a new prison. And that new prison is attack, slander. Right. They're because, no longer victims. Yeah, they're, they're no longer victims. So they have to become victimizers in order to create the new prison, right? Right. And so when you... Oh, and there's, there's one other thing, too. There's one other okay. thing, too, is that people who get away, there's no such thing as a clean break in a relationship that I've ever heard of or can imagine. There's no such thing as a clean break. doesn't happen. We go and we have to keep going back in our minds to pick up the things we left behind. Right? Right. Like, we all think about failed relationships or relationships that have ended. Romantic, friendship, family, even a professional work, whatever it is. So things that have not worked out. 
we think about those things for years. We never take a clean break and just, ah, I'm done. I'm gone. I never look back, right? We all mm. look back. We all circle back, right? The, the way that we leave destructive relationships is like the way that a, a, a planet escapes an orbit, right? It just goes round and round and round and eventually, right, it gets out. But it never just breaks orbit and goes. We just make the orbit a little wider and then eventually we leave most of it behind. I, right. I mean, I, I to this day think about uh, things that didn't work out for me 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying it's a big focus of my day, but it comes up from time to time. Mm-hmm. I just, um, I saw a, uh, uh, in the paper today, there's a, a play about Orson Welles and a friend of mine from, from theater school from like, dear Lord in heaven, almost 20, uh, over 20 years ago, 22, 22 years ago, 21 years ago, 23, something like that, 20 years ago, give or take, is, is, um, is in this. And then when, when I went to go and see the producers um, of Mel Brooks' uh, play, musical, um, he was playing in it as well. And so, you know, you think, oh, theater school, you know, oh, what would life have been like as an actor? Should I have pursued that? And I don't really think about it seriously, but it's hard not to, to go back in life. And I think it's, it's healthy to go back and, and we comb over things over and over again. And I think that's healthy because it is that combing over that makes the fertilizer for new soils, new growth. And so when people badmouth others, they know that you're going to hear about it. And they also know that that's going to want you to do what they desperately want you to do, which is to re-engage. Come back, oh. come back, come back. Because if you come back, we don't have to leave. Because if you come back, leaving is silly, is a fool's game. So they want you to come back. I mean, it's hard to think that anyone would slander anyone if they knew for sure that that person would never, ever, ever hear about it. It would be sort of pointless. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm not talking about celebrities. I mean, in, right? They want you to come back. And the bad mouth, the bad mouthing is... Please come back. Please re-engage. Come back into the prison cell and tell us that there's nothing out there. And it's not a prison cell. Uh. Because that's what you do in the dream. You st- they talk trash about you and you engage. Yeah. And when you engage, they win. In the dream, it tells you that explicitly, right? They get this predatory yeah. look. Ah, fresh meat, right? And right. you end up lying. And and I end up blamed? Uh, you end up lying because you said you lying. started to make up all this stuff yeah. about yourself. Yeah, I did. Right. And I think that's what the dream is, is telling you about, that if you re-engage with those who slander you, then you will end up hollowing yourself out with falsehoods. Oh. That they will win, that you will be brought down like a baby deer before a pride of lions. They will feast and you will vanish. Okay. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm in the position where I, you know, I still haven't gotten a job. But it's 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 very crucial that I get one before April so that I don't I don't I'm not faced with the option of 
going back to my parents. So with that in mind, it's that's important to keep in mind. Right. And look, your parents, it doesn't matter whether it's your parents or not. The people who've badmouthed you in your life don't have to be in your life to continue to badmouth you because we internalize all of these alter egos, right? We internalize all of these voices. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if uh, if the dream is talking about the internal voices or the external, or both. Uh, well, it's if you're not in contact with the people who verbally abused you, then they're talking about the internal voices. Which are more powerful, right? As we, we can get away from the external voices, but we can't we can't get away from the internal voices. It's like there's a fire on our skin and there's a fire in our heart that is consuming us. And we can put out the fire on our skin, but the real challenge is putting out the fire that is consuming us in our hearts, right? Right. We can walk away from a fire. We can put the fire out that's on our clothing, but putting the fire out in our hearts living with some soothing, calming coolness in our lives when we've grown up in a situation of abuse. That is the real challenge. Yeah. And, of course, not recreating the fire on the skin to distract yourself from the continued fire in the heart, which means not getting into abusive relationships again, right? Mm-hmm. There is a, it's a bit of a tangent, but I mean, there is something that I wanted to add, uh, is while you were talking to me about my dream, uh, what came to mind was, uh, the references I put on my resume that are in my job applications. Uh, I did word processing for my mom and I, and my aunt was a boss at a daycare and I worked for her for a few weeks. And I put them on my resume. And uh, Bob is was telling me that it's not a good idea at all because they will trash talk me. I I I figured that if I put please don't call, then then my future employers might just wouldn't call and I wouldn't have to worry about that. But uh, I, I want to know what you think about that. I'd say, look, I mean, I, I, I hugely sympathize with that. That's a, that's a tough situation for sure. That is a tough, tough situation for sure. Um, yeah. I, I would put down the work experience, but um, I would not put down um, the, the reference and say, don't call. Because that's just going to raise more questions than it's going to answer. And in this kind of economy, the fewer questions that are raised, the better. I would put down the experience, and if somebody says... Um, you know, why can't I contact this person? They'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm not in contact with that person anymore. I, I don't have any good way of contacting them. The company has disbanded. The, you know, whatever. Right. Any, anything that you need to say that's just going to have that, you know, because the experience is real, but the references aren't going to be objective, right? Right. That, that would be my suggestion, right? There's, there's ways of just, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not saying bald-faced lies or anything, but there's ways of sort of easing your way through that that question and just say, you know, I'm, I, unfortunately I can't give you references. The company's disbanded or I, you know, I'm no longer in contact with these people and I don't know how to get in contact. They moved to Australia. I don't know, whatever. Right. Uh, but right. you know, I'm no longer able to be in contact with these people or whatever. Right. Uh, don't say that they're family or anything like that, but that would be my, 
uh, my suggestion. And mo- most places that you go, uh, like when I started temping, which is, I guess, what you're looking to do, uh, they they don't care so much about the work experience. What they do care about is your competence with particular packages. And back in the day that I was doing it, it was <laughs> WordPerfect 5.1 for DOS, <laughs> which was way back in the day. But uh, what they did was they put me through a, a, a test, right, to say, well, you know, what keystrokes do you do to, you know, format and print and all this kind of stuff? And how do you save in different directories and, and all that? Uh, how do you create backups? And all, yeah, right. So if, if I knew that stuff, then they didn't really care what my uh, actual work uh, contacts were because you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. But um, uh, so if you can if you can pass the word processing test, if again, if this is all still the way it's done, which I'm sure it is then it doesn't really matter so much that someone's going to going to vouch for you. Okay. Okay, that uh that that's that that helps. Um now, I just want to make sure that uh because we've got some people who also wanted to um uh, um, who wanted to have questions and we've done two for you uh, I know that we could go further in the dream but I think it's a good place to start let me just uh, uh, take a pause if you don't mind and just ask if there's somebody else who wanted to uh, to come up with uh, or who had questions who was waiting because uh, I didn't want to uh, uh, I'm trying to sort of slice it up a little bit more evenly this cake if that makes any sense okay well thanks and that was excellent I'm I'm glad to uh, to to hear a dream again I just I just find them absolutely fascinating you know the the pattern making of our minds and this this wisdom fountain that is deep down in the central cortex of our brain that sprays all of these amazing uh, uh, artistic novelistic images up to help us is really really it's an amazing horse to ride and i'm I'm very glad that you're taking them seriously seth i i do have another question but i mean if anybody else has questions right now uh, I'll, i'll let them go uh but if it's okay with you later on i'd like to ask another yeah, if we have time, absolutely. I'd, I'd be happy okay. to, uh, to to listen. But let's. Uh, I know that there were some other people who contacted me beforehand saying that they wanted to uh, to ask uh, some some questions. So if those people or one of those at a time would like to step up, this and now would be the time. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi there, Steph. Oh, hey. How's it going? Uh, oh, pretty good. Good. Nice uh, to hear from you while. again. Oh, yeah, thanks. It's been a very long time. I've been quite busy lately. Uh, my life has been pretty busy with uh, trying to uh, do a lot of um, social activities, you know, because I'm, I'm used to being an introverted person, just kind of staying home. So I've, I've been trying to go out and do all kinds of interesting things, like I have a poetry meetup and all these other social activities. And somebody suggested that since I'm single that I start up a singles club. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, a singles club? Um, I mean, I've heard of singles clubs, but they come in a variety of formats. What were you thinking of? Well, we, we don't have a lot of those down here, so I had to do a little bit of research, and I'm still trying to come up with um, how to organize such a thing. And what I really wanted was something where I can attract uh, you know, people who are emotionally mature and want eventually want long-term relationships and so forth. And, you know, not just kind of people who are just looking to go to bars and do, you know, get one-night stands and stuff like that. Um, I've had some difficulty because I've never done this before. And uh, what um, what were you thinking about in terms of the um, the format, the, the content, the locations? Um... 
is it sort of like you would you would get together to do stuff that would be you know like like bowling or archery or you know whatever uh, that that would be sort of fun for people to do but would, would also give them a chance to sort of interact so it wouldn't just be like let's go play volleyball where you can't really talk but it would be something where you would have time to to chat and, and meet people oh yeah absolutely yeah i i want something that's uh, very social and uh, hopefully kind of natural so you know, you get people together and you give them options to like play games or something and maybe once in a while go out to eat like at a restaurant together and, you know, play games where people might uh, get a chance to casually share something about themselves. And I'm hoping through that people will develop um, friendships and eventually maybe even deeper relationships from that, if that makes any sense. Sure, sure. No, I understand. Lingerie parties, uh, all that kind of stuff, right, for the guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> some beer. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I think that's interesting. Um, and what would your goal uh, in, in doing that be? Um, well, I, certainly for myself, I'd like to meet somebody through that because I'm not having any luck in any other areas. And, you know, I certainly would like to help other people because I, I am kind of a helpful person. Would you join one first to find out what you liked or didn't like, or would you start your own first, do you think? Well, unfortunately, there's not any close to where I live that I could join. Otherwise, I would just do that first. But I think this might be something I might have to start because there's just not that kind of thing around here. Wow, you found a chilling vortex of market failure. It's all over. There is no such thing as the free market. Okay. No, that's good. I mean, if, if, if you want it and it's not there, it's not a bad thing to provide. I mean... I certainly looked for philosophy shows before I started Free Domain Radio, and I couldn't find any that uh, I thought were good. So uh, it's okay. I mean, if you can't find something, uh, other people might be as well. I think uh, I think it's a challenge. I think it's a very good challenge, and I think it's a particularly exciting challenge for somebody like yourself, who, as you say, you've got more of a history of, of introversion. Right. Right. <laughs> I tell you this. I, I tell you this from my experience. Again, it may may match yours. It may not. But... Uh, one of the reasons that it's tough to uh, to meet uh, someone to date, right? someone to have a relationship, a romantic relationship with, is that we're all afraid of rejection. Right? And rejection is, is a sort of constant fear of human beings. And it's not a bad fear to have. I mean, people who aren't at all afraid of rejection are kind of crazy, right? So it's a good fear to have. But I would say that the rejection that you're likely to face in dating is much less than the rejection you're going to try and, you're going to face when trying to organize people to do something. <laughs> At least that's sort of been my experience. That uh, it is it is a real challenge. You know, but lots of people will say that they want to do stuff, that they want to help, that they want to write this, that, and the other, right? But uh, you know, when when it actually comes to doing stuff, people always seem to be just that little bit too busy or whatever, right? Right. And so you you have to develop a, a bit of a thick skin when it comes to organizing stuff for people. I mean, a totally minor example, and there have been some people who've really helped, but, you know, lots of people wanted to help out with the website thing. And I'm like, hey, you know, let's see, let's have a, a conference call and, and here's the roadmap and all that. And no one showed up. <laughs> I mean, other than a couple of people who were, who were already helping. Right. So lots of people want to and they'll express interest. And that's a misleading signal. Right. It's sort of like having a business plan where you say, if everything I sell is free, what will the demand be? Well, if it's free, the demand is going to be very high. But as soon as you actually ask people to to pay some money, then the demand mysteriously tends to dry up quite significantly, right? And so when you're asking people to do stuff in a particular context, um, lots of people will be very enthusiastic because it's free to be enthusiastic, right? It doesn't cost you any time. To, you know, it doesn't really cost you any money. But then when you actually are asking people to start doing stuff, 
Um, that's the real challenge. Don't be misled by people's enthusiasm and then crushed by their lack of <laughs> actual interaction, if that makes any sense. Uh, that, that would be my sort of suggestion. Um, although I will say this, that if you do pull it off, and you know, I'm sure that you can, I mean, you're very intelligent, resourceful, and, and uh, a nice fellow, then uh, it will be a, a very huge step forward, I think, for you, if not to sound at all like, you know, pat, pat, good boy, step forward, whatever, right? I mean, just to be encouraging. I think it would be a good step forward to you. And I also think it would kind of put you in an alpha male position as the organizer of this group. And I think that, uh, I think that will be, will be positive for you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'd be happy if I could just set it up and just get, you know, just a handful of people that, you know, we all find something, some value in it. And, you know, I mean, I do take that, that part of Freedom Main Radio that says, you know, be a beacon of light for other people. And I try to do that. Right. And my suggestion would be for the first meeting, uh, bring probably, I would say, two to three uh, women's outfits, because if it turns into a complete circle round sausage fest, uh, you're going to have to eeny, meeny, miny about who's going to end up being the women for the night. And that's something that uh, will be very eye opening, I think, for a variety of people in the in the meetup. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and nothing too comfortable, you know, all spandex based and high heels. That would be my suggestion. Um, uh, then it can be a really revealing exercise in many ways. And we can find out who's Jewish, who's not, all that kind of stuff. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as far as, I mean, I, I'm, I'm no organizational genius, as anybody who's worked with me knows, but I, I will say this, that the only thing that I've been able to, to do that has really, really worked is you just grit your teeth and you just keep frickin' doing it like it's happening. You just keep doing it like it's actually happening. And eventually it just happens. Eventually, it just happens. People are very resistant to new things, right? Because new things can, you know, they, they don't often work out and people don't want to get involved in something if it's just going to fizzle out, you know, like, let's do a, a wiki of Q&As for free domain radio. Wee! You know, everybody spends, you know, a weekend doing it and then it fizzles out and that weekend was wasted, right? So people don't want to do stuff where it's going to fizzle out. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to invest energy where it's going to fizzle out. The stuff that works is the stuff where you just keep freaking do it like it's happening. And then once people get that it's not going to fizzle out, then they will they will be um, uh, they will end up recognizing that their time is not going to be wasted. Uh, like you don't want to get like you know seven guys to show up uh, uh, at a bar uh, or a restaurant uh, and then never see them again because they all oh I get my hopes up I'm going to dress up maybe I'll meet someone and you know and then they get disappointed and then, but you just you just have to keep 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 pressing on like it's actually happening you know let just keep you know like. Hey, I'm podcasting from my car, but by God, this is going to be the greatest philosophic, philosophical conversation the world has ever seen. And I'm just going to keep doing it like it's happening. And eventually it starts to happen. Right. But uh, if people sense that you are not committed, then uh, they will not get interested. And the way that they'll try and figure out whether you're committed or not is that they will come and they will go and they will be interested and then they will not. And they want to see whether you're taking your drive from their commitment. Because then it's kind of circular, right? They want to see that you have a drive that is independent of their commitment. And once you have that drive, they will commit. But if you're going to sort of take one step and wait for everyone to kind of join behind you, then you'll take the next step. Uh, in my experience, that stuff doesn't work. Uh, but 
if you just, you know, I'm just going to push my way through this wall and the next wall and the next wall and the next wall and it's going to happen no matter what, then people get that. I think they sense that and they, um, uh, they will come along like you're a strong current and they just find it easier to swim in that current than oppose it after a while. But they really have to get that it's a strong current first. I hope that this is not too metaphorical and actually is somewhat helpful. Oh, yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. I I like that a lot better than the way I usually approach projects, which is trying to, you know, intellectualize everything and try to figure out every step ahead of time, which I just end up talking myself out of it because I can't figure out everything before I do it. You know, I just got to just actually do it. And Yeah, I mean, when I was younger, this is going to sound all kinds of, you know, man hoary, but but one of the things that that I found was a better way to ask a woman out, because the usual way of asking a woman out is to go up to the woman and say, you know, would you like to go for a coffee? Would you like to go to a movie? Would you like to go for dinner? You know, would you like to go out with me? And that becomes sort of a like a yes, no thing. And it's, you know, I've often thought about it, just how tough it must be on, on the side of the, the women, right? Because uh, women have to shoot down like 20, 30, 40, 50 guys sometimes a night, right? In order to, to, to end up meeting someone who's, who's, they're interested in for whatever reason, you know, good or bad or indifferent. And so, you know, women have to, you know, kind of get a little, a little cold shell, right? Because they have to, I mean, particularly very attractive women, they've got to sort of radiate this chill. And if you can fight your way through it, that's the dragon you have to get through to get to the maiden, right? Is the, the pretty maiden is the, is the chill that they have to exude in order to, to keep the lesser warriors away, so, so to speak. But uh, what I found was less uh, stressful for me. And therefore I think, you know, a more, more positive way of asking a woman out was instead of saying, um, would you like, you know, I, I, I would like to take you to a movie or whatever is, is to say something like, you know, I'm going to go and see this movie, you know, on Friday, would you like to come along? In other words, I'm going to go and do something. Would you like to come along? Uh, th- that in a sense, is just like, I'm going to go do something and it would be great if you were there too, rather than I'm going to do something if you want to do it with me. And for some reason, and there's probably good reasons that I, you know, are not on the tip of my tongue, I found that a whole lot easier to just say, I'm, I'm going to go and do this thing. You know, it'd be great if, if you would come along. I'm, I'm going to go out. Uh, uh, I mean, one of the women that I ended up dating before, shortly before I got, ended up meeting Christina and getting married is um, uh, I, was, I was just sort of, I was dining alone because uh, I, I lived alone and, and uh, I, was, I was eating alone at a Japanese restaurant. And uh, uh, this woman also sat down a table or two over. And I just said, I mean, I can't remember. I said something really stupid. I, I thought she was very attractive. She had a great sort of air to her. And she was a very nice person, it turns out. But uh, I just walked over and says, hey, I'm, I'm eating alone. You're eating alone. Do you want to eat alone together? Or something like that. But it wasn't like, do you mind if I join you? It was more like, you know, we're doing this thing. Do, would you be interested in doing it together? It's sort of less pressure and it's more uh, lighthearted than, than a sort of brinksmanship. Yes, no. And again, I just, you know, we, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to have this, this, um, you know, instead of, would you like to join a singles group? Um, the singles group is meeting on Friday. Would you like to come along? Like this thing is happening. Do you want to be a part of it? Uh, and that I've always found to be much more, um, it, it generates more enthusiasm it, because it gives people this freedom. It's not their yes, no, doesn't make it happen or not happen because you're going to go and see the film, whether the woman comes along or not, but it would be better if she came along rather than her yes, no is or isn't going to make this happen. Right. So if you call up 10 people and say, do you want to join a singles group? They're like, eh, I don't know. Right. But if you say there's a singles group meeting on Friday, would you like to join? Uh, that's that's sort of a different thing. 
Uh, and so that's, you know, it, it's going to happen. Would you like to participate is is the way that I've always found to uh, to to get momentum behind things rather than would would you make this thing happen with me, if that makes any sense? Yeah, that certainly does. Yeah, that that's why I'm hoping the singles group would be there. It would be a way to, you know, have that natural icebreaker type thing. And people are already got something going on and people just come in and then kind of move on to the next step, you know, okay, let's get to know each other now that we've broken the ice. I'm sorry, I just, I'm, I really do apologize, it's most rude, Some, I just wanted to check in the chat room and someone posted something long, and I completely didn't hear that last sentence, could you just repeat it, I do apologize. Oh, that's okay, I was just uh, saying that I was agreeing with you, and that, yeah, I, I was hoping this group would be something that would be the uh, natural uh, icebreaker there, and already in place and people are already doing something so once people join they can move on to the next step which is get to know each other it's just that initial ice breaking stage that's kind of confusing right 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 for sure and there are ways to structure um the gatherings so that people um uh, have a way to sort of get to know each other, right? And the cheesy version of this is like those corporate retreats where I think as Dilbert says, you have to build a you know intergalactic bridge using nothing more than a leaf and a bee's wing or something like that, right? You have these these sort of games or these um, uh, um, structured things, right, where it's sort of enjoyable or whatever, uh, that uh, people can get together, they can immediately be in a structure. Uh, and that's better for people who have a tougher time making conversation with people, because uh, you know, making conversation with people can be really tough, right? I mean, it, it, is, a, it is a bit of a skill, and uh, a lot of people don't have it for a variety of reasons, the natural or environmental, I don't know. But uh, I think it's better if you sort of say, you know, people say, well, what's going to happen here? It's like, well, you know, we've got this, um, this set of quizzes that people are going to sort of ask, an, uh, you know, are going to ask a random person a, a particular question, and you can come up with a bunch of questions, right? You're psychologically very adroit. You could come up with some questions or just pick them, you know, that would be sort of fun or funny questions or whatever. And the people are then going to ask them, and uh, that kind of stuff can be, uh, can be more, you know, it's like spin the bottle for adults kind of thing, but or truth or dare, right? Like you can come up with a structure that, um, you know, people can mingle a little bit, but it's not like they have three hours of making small talk with each other, but there's going to be some kind of structure that uh, uh, is um, is going to help people to get to know each other. Uh, and you have to be careful that the people who are, you know, really funny don't end up dominating stuff. So you have to make the questions not just sort of funny questions, but uh, I think once pe- if people come in and there's a kind of structure, then that can really, really help. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that, that was very helpful. Um, I'll keep everybody... Uh, updated on it and I will certainly work on it and do my best yeah and look if if people out there I mean this is a a, a community of some phantasmagorically kaleidoscopic skill sets I'm always completely stunned when something really obscure comes up and someone's like oh I've been doing that for 400 years or whatever right I I am uh, Christopher Lambert they um, so so you know if anybody listens to this um, it's uh, they can they can contact you um, uh, Joey on the board, right? I think it's okay to say, right? They can contact you if they've had experience with this kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be a singles group, but organizing this kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's, um, uh, I think that's, uh, really helpful. There's ways to, to get people interested, especially using social networks, right? Like Facebook or whatever geographically specific locations. Uh, I think that could be really helpful. So if anyone has any experience with this kind of stuff, 
um, I would, uh, I think that would be, uh, yeah, that would be great to, to have some calls with some people and, and uh, lean on their expertise. Right. And we, we always have this idea that we have to reinvent the wheel and it's generally a very bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm pleased to keep us posted. And did you get uh, feedback on your, your paper yet? Your master's? Uh, yes, I, I got some uh, feedback from my professors. I mean, everybody at my university likes it, even though it uh, didn't didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. You know, I mean, it's a small university, so I mean, I wasn't able to do everything experimentally I wanted to do. Um, I was trying to send it to uh, Lloyd DeMoss, you know, but um, it's kind of one of those things you send it to him, and he's like, well, it didn't open, so that was frustrating, but. Yeah, oh, well, right if you'd now. like to send it to me, I can put it on as a website page, and uh, I can send it to him from there if you'd like, because then that, that's a can't-miss thing. So oh, absolutely, yeah. Right now, I'm just trying to spread it out to anybody who would be interested in it, and hopefully somebody will replicate my study one of these days and do something with it. Right. That'd be great. Yeah, no, it's good, and, and I'm glad that you got some positive feedback. Did you end up getting, uh, did you get a mark? Did you want to talk about that? I'm just kind of curious how that uh, shook out. Mm-hmm. I, I got an uh, A plus on it, and I already got my master's degree. And hey, right now, congratulations! Thanks. Right now, I am teaching psychology at that university, and uh, fixing to start at a second uh, college. Just teaching psychology at the moment. Wow, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. I would, uh, if you ever end up taking taping one of your lectures, just send it to me. I mean, just for my own personal consumption, I'd like to. I'd like to hear how it goes. Uh, I uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I love listening to psych lectures. There's some great ones from Alison Glopnik. But um, if you ever did do that, I'd love to hear them. Absolutely. Uh, there's just uh, one uh, college I'm working for now. They got this uh, great. Um web course system where you know you do the online course thing and they give you the option to do podcasts if you want to and i'm really looking forward to taking them up on that offer oh yeah well that would be great do do keep us posted uh, i'm sure that you have some great material for people to listen to and you know kudos and congratulations uh, a master's is a tough thing uh it, it really i'm sure it's not as tough as a phd but a master's i certainly found was uh, was a, a great challenge and, a, and an a plus is a, a significantly great mark uh, so, I mean, it certainly is better than the mark I got on my master's, which means that I'm now filled with uh, rage and resentment. But hope, actually no hope, because I'm not going back. But uh, congratulations. I think that's just fantastic. You should be, uh, you make sure you are enormously proud. Yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. Do we have, um, do you have more questions for people? Eh? Do not make me speak in an outrageous French accent, huh? Because it's tough on the throat. I will do anything to uh, to stop you from speaking in that accent. Stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's quite wise. Um, I've been wanting to to ask you this for about two weeks, but um, since it's um, another dream, I know that you probably don't want to do two in, in the same thing. So I, I can wait till next week if you want. No, to. no. It, it, well, hold on. Just I mean, if, if nobody has any other questions right now, I'm I'm happy to do another one. I've I sort of missed the dream things because I find them just just completely fascinating things to perform wild speculations on. But uh, uh, if anybody else has a non dream thing, I did get a question, a sort of more technical question uh, in the chat room. Um, do do do. What is your take on the question? Can induction be justified? Uh, and I think induction can be justified if the woman is having a real trouble uh, getting labor to start naturally. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that. 
Uh, he didn't want to talk about it. So uh, if it, let's just pause for another second in case anybody had another yearning burning. And if not, then we will uh, we will go straight into the uh, the dream. Going once, going twice, eh? Okay, go. Lovely. Um, so just just for a bit of context, um, I've gotten. Let me turn Skype sounds off. Um, I've just recently gotten back into therapy again. I got a, um, a recommendation of um, someone who's you know going for their um, going for their masters. So they're doing um, therapy as part of getting their uh, doctorate. So I'm getting therapy at a reduced rate, which is lovely. Um, so I had this dream the night before um, I first met this woman. Um, and it was actually freaking me out a little bit on the phone because she sounds wonderful. And when I met her later in the day, she was wonderful. Um, however, she's a relatively young woman, which, you know, given my thing with women was a little bit weird. Sorry, anyway, just, I sorry just, you and I just you and I are a little bit far away in terms of age. Sorry, there's a lot of echo here. Do you have a headset? You... Um, I don't. Oh, yeah, no problem. I just, if you do, is she like in her 20s or her 30s? Because relatively young probably means slightly different things to you and I. So I just wanted to get a bit more of a sense of that. Um, She's maybe, I would say that the upper bound in her age is probably 32. She she couldn't be any more than that. All right. Okay. Um, so the, the night before I met her, I had this dream. And this is what I wrote down in my journal. Um, I'm on a playground with a lot of other adults. Um, the first day, because the, the days broke or the dreams broken down into two days, I climb up a piece of equipment and my fear of falling, which I do have in real life, um, psychs me out and completely prevents me from climbing down from this high playground equipment on my own until somebody oh, comes. Oh, sorry. And- <laughs> sorry to interrupt. Uh, you said, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure, I normally will listen to the whole dream, but I want to make sure I get this part up front. You say that you're on a playground with lots of other adults. Is it an adult playground? No, it's, it's a kid's playground, but there are only adults around. So and are the adults playing or standing around? Um, so, some of them are playing and others are just standing around in, in little groups. And is it an adult playground like a kid's playground but bigger or like an adult playground like, I don't know, the Playboy Mansion? Um, it's it's like a kid's playground. Um, it has everything that, you know, my elementary school playground had, um, but it's just a little bit bigger. It's kind of scaled up for adults. Okay, got it. Thanks. Okay. So the, the second day, um, I meet up with a woman. She she's very young, um, about as young as I am, um, and she's she's very beautiful, and she appears to be um, scared of heights. So I show her some like progressively harder tricks on the playground equipment, and we go, you know, through the day like progressively higher and higher each time. Um, she she runs off um, and brings back some of her other friends. Meanwhile, since, you know, we've we've climbed up to this highest part of the playground, I am just completely frozen on top of it. And I'm very scared to climb down. 
I was fine while she was with me and while I was showing her how to basically play on it. Um, but once she left, I was just terrified. Um, so this woman and her friends come back. It turns out that the woman wasn't actually afraid of height. She was just pretending to, to get me to climb up with her. So the woman and her friends are actually acrobats and they begin to do um, tricks like, you know, standing four high on each other's shoulders. Um, one of the tricks that really terrified me um, is they're sort of standing on each shoulders um, three high. And the, the top guy just pulls out a couple of wine bottles, inverses or um, reverses them on his shoulders and has the other woman do a handstand on top of the wine bottles that are standing on his shoulders. Um, by this time, I'm still sitting on top of this very high playground structure. My palms are sweating and I'm completely terrified that this woman is going to fall, which is making it even harder for me to climb down off of the playground equipment myself. Um, so the, the tricks end and all of the acrobats leave except for the one young man. Um, so he, he looks up at me and he realizes that I'm stuck. And he asks me, you know, are you okay? And, and when I say no, he says, well, wait, there's someone coming. And he keeps talking to me to try to get me to calm down so that I don't fall. Um, so then, and this is, this is possibly the weirdest part of the dream, um, Pendulette walks in. Who knew? Um, so he, he comes up to me and he asks, you know, are you frightened? I say, you know, yes. And I start to say something about something like a story that I heard in one of those little videos that he did. But he, he talks over me, like he interrupts me and launches into some sort of story about his son and, you know, going to pick him up from school to spend the day together. He isn't, he isn't rude about talking over me. Um, in fact, he's just trying to talk me out of basically my, my freak out. Um, finally, and this is no Greg, he has both a son and a daughter. Um, so finally, in the last part of the dream, uh, a sort of fat acrobat and his fat wife, um, who looks kind of like someone that I knew um, when I was a teenager, show up. But somehow, I've, I'm already on the ground, and I'm, I'm looking around for Penn, but I don't remember climbing down from this high thing. And I, I woke up after that. Excellent dream. All right, so let me just make sure I understand it. So you're in this uh, daycare, and you said it was the second day. So the first day you're just playing, and you have this fear of falling, which you also have in real life. This young and beautiful woman comes. Uh, she says, I'm scared of heights. And you're like, I'll teach you how to not be scared of heights. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I told her that I would teach her how to play on this thing and kept you know, going higher and higher with her. And did you tell her about your fear of heights? No. Uh-huh. Okay. So that, that's important, right? It's not yeah. bad, right? It's just a dream. But but it's important that you didn't tell her something that was true, right? That you, you feigned but, a kind of confidence that you didn't have. And it was interesting, but I, I didn't even feel the fear of heights when she was with me. You know, we were climbing on these things, and I, I didn't feel it. 
I wasn't scared when I was right. with her. No, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think that's very important. And I think, well, I'll, I'll tell you why I think that might be the case. But you climb higher and higher, and then she goes uh, and gets her friends. And then you're frightened because you don't know if you're going to be able to get down. And it turns out that this woman's an acrobat and her friends are all acrobatic. And then they start doing these trips and you're ter- tricks and you're terrified that she's going to fall. And then there's this guy. Uh, and uh, what was the bit about the wine classes? I just, I just sort of missed that. So the, the last trick was, you know, all the acrobats are standing on each other's shoulders. And this guy just from somewhere brings out a couple of wine bottles. And the last trick is that this woman who I had been playing with would do a handstand while sort of being balanced on the wine bottles on this guy's shoulders. Right. Well, that's quite a trick. Um, and um, and then he he the, the guy ends up talking talking about like are we going to help you get you down and that kind of stuff is that right um everybody all the other acrobats leave and then he looks up at me and you know he asked me are are you scared and when i say yes he says you know hold on there's there's somebody else coming and then pen gillette comes is that right yeah he's just the big one right yes okay and he talks about picking up his kids and this and that and then you sort of you end up back on the ground. Yes. Right. All right. Well, um, do, do you have a, a theory about what the dream is uh, is about? Um, I, I have a couple of theories, neither of which kind of seem to fit. So there's the... Um, I, I've gotten a couple of emails recently from people who have listen to um, podcasts that I've done with you and have emailed me saying like, thank you for putting out these things. They've really helped me. Um, And it seems like, you know, I've I've gotten this feeling sometimes that, well, how am I helping anybody? So it feels like my trying to show acrobatic tricks or how not to be afraid of heights to somebody who's, already an acrobat i've kind of felt like a fake when people have sent me those emails right um that's that's the only thing that i could really think of honestly all right well um i will tell you that it's not so much the case now, but certainly when you and I first chatted, I really got the impression that I was trying to teach Queen Bodachia how to ride a chariot. And uh, it was a, a ferociously challenging task because you weren't the most coachable person in the world when we first met. Now, I mean, you had you have enormous courage and intellect and, uh, and perceptiveness, uh, which, you know, makes makes it a, a, an exciting challenge. But you weren't the most coachable person. Right. I mean, you certainly had uh, times where you got uh, got mad at me and so on, which, you know, is all perfectly fair and valid uh, among friends. But um, uh, so I think that that you had uh, as a, a way of, of protecting yourself from the childhood that you had. Uh, you, um, you 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 you're quite intimidating. Right. And and you are intimidating in 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 that you are. Uh, I mean, if you remember the trip to New York and what happened to the poor security guard, right? I mean, you have, at least you had, right, a temper which was intimidating to people. You have a vast and deep breadth of knowledge about some pretty uh, interesting things, right? Uh, The Medici's and (laughs) Florentine in the 16th century and so on. 
But you have uh, uh, a great deal of verbal acuity. Um, you have a you know a very uh, a funny sense of humor. You have a, a temper or had a temper. I don't know if you still do, but that uh, I think comes across to people as as quite intimidating. And I'm not saying that you're a bully at all. I'm not saying that you try to intimidate people. But I think that. Um, you come across with a great deal of assurance and expertise. And I felt certainly early on when I knew you that that was not um, not the full story, right? Confidence like that to me, given the history that you had, could not be the full story. And one of the challenges of of going into a therapy is the challenge of vulnerability, right? Which is I am going to give somebody uh, I'm going to open up my heart. I'm going to let them get up into their wet, red elbows and rummage around to their heart's content, right? And that is a seriously difficult thing to do to people who've grown up with difficult or abusive histories, right? Because vulnerability in the face of an abuser is like going, you know, when you've got, when you're strapped down in the torture chamber and you say to the torturer, you know, no, it doesn't hurt when you do this, but it really hurts when you do this. They're like, hey, thanks, because that's my goal, right? So vulnerability is a real challenge. And uh, so I think that um, uh, when you were going to to see this this uh, woman and you were very enthusiastic, right, as you say, you talked to her, she sounds wonderful. And she did turn out to be wonderful, this therapist, which I think is fantastic. I mean, this is, you know, you hear lots of bad stories about therapists, but it's great to hear a good story about a therapist. And that's what people should be uh, should be holding out for. And so the thing that's interesting to me is that when you are coaching someone else, your own fear vanishes. In other words, when you put yourself forward as a false expert, your own fear, your own anxiety vanishes. And I think that, and I'm not sure, right, obviously, but I I think that that's that's an important thing in your life. Because when you go to see a therapist, you can't put yourself forward as an expert, right? Because you're in the therapist's office, which means you're saying, I need expertise that I don't have. I need a view of myself that I don't have. I need coaching that I cannot provide for myself, if that makes any sense. It it does. And that was the first thing I um, asked her or the, well, she asked me, you know, why are you coming? And it's, you know, what I said back to her was I've gotten as far as I can without somebody else to help me, I think. Um, So that was definitely something that had been on my mind um, the, the few days previous to my going. Right. And I think it's important to remember that when a therapist asks why you're coming, the important, I think the only appropriate response is to say to your therapist, how do you feel about asking me why I'm coming? Anyway, we'll come back to that. But um, so so there's a kind of interesting set of non-honesty in this dream. And I don't mean dishonesty because this is all like you're not actively lying to people, but there's there's falsehood by omission in this dream. Right. So. You don't say to this woman, you you portray yourself as an expert on how to deal with a fear of heights, although you are afraid of heights. But in a sense, by pretending that you're not afraid of heights and by telling this woman, I'm an expert in this, you actually do overcome your fear of heights. But the problem is you end up in a situation where that fear comes back even more strongly. You put yourself in an even more vulnerable position. So a position of false authority puts you really high up on a flagpole with a fear of heights where you're frozen, right? Yeah. And I think that's important because of your your education, your intellect, your verbal skills, all of the things that are genuinely and deeply impressive about you. You can come across with a huge amount of expertise 
But if you're not honest about your vulnerabilities, you will end up in very scary and vulnerable situations where you you do not have control. In an, in an attempt to exercise false control, right, over your fears and over somebody else's behavior, you end up in a situation where you're paralyzed, frozen, and have no control, right? You're on top of this and you can't even figure out how to get down, right? Right. That makes sense. Now, here's, an, I think, another thing that's interesting about the, the dream is that the woman is kind of kind of evil in a way. I mean, that's a strong way of putting it, but uh, you're pretending to be an expert, and she's pretending to be an amateur, right? Right. And you see how in the dream there's this beautiful reversal. I mean, this is like an O. Henry short story, you know, where the guy goes out to get the comb for the wife, and the wife goes out to get something for the husband, and she's cut off her hair to 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 get him the thing, and so he he can't use the she can't use the comb anymore. I can't remember exactly how it. It's one of these reversals that always goes on in these O. Henry stories, but this is a beautiful reversal. You pretend to be an expert, and you end up in the position of uh, a you know, paralyzed amateur. And she pretends to be a paralyzed amateur and then reveals herself to be uh, the actual expert that you're pretending to be, right? Right. And yeah. that, that reversal, I think, is really important. And I think what it says is that if you manipulate, and again, I'm not saying that this is conscious, right? But, but if you manipulate in your life, you will bring manipulators into your life. Right? So if you come across as an authority when you actually are not an authority, i.e. climbing heights, uh, whatever, right? If you manipulate other people, you will draw manipulators into your life, right? Because if you'd have been honest and said to this woman, I'm terrified of heights too, I have no idea to do it, she might have said, haha, I'm an expert, here's how you do it or whatever, right? But because you weren't honest with her and you were kind of using her to manage your own anxiety and feel stronger yourself, you ended up under her power, frozen on the top of this structure, right? Right. I'm just trying to figure, and, and they they end up really kind of taunting you, right? Because this woman knows that you were not telling the truth earlier about your level of expertise in dealing with heights. She knows that because you're huddled up there, and they're doing all these tricks in front of you. It's like they're taunting you. Right, and I'm I'm just getting, you know, I, I mean it's it's must it must have been obvious to them, you know on my face that I was getting more and more like completely terrified. And one of the things that I didn't write down in my journal, but I'm just remembering is when I was sitting on top of this thing, it was like, no, no, don't do that. Like, don't do that. You're going to fall. To them, right? Yeah. Right. So the interesting thing is that you're still bossing them around, right? I mean, that's amazing. They're the acrobats. You can't even climb off a high thing and you're telling them how to be safe, right? But you don't know how to be safe. You're still focusing on what is dangerous to them without focusing on what is dangerous to you, right? Which is to pretend to have an authority that you don't have. Right. And I mean, it, it is obviously completely, completely ludicrous by that point because I'm not actually, I'm not actually talking about them, right? Because, I mean, it's obvious to me at that point that, like, they are acrobats like they're not going to to fall so i'm not actually even though i'm addressing them i'm not actually addressing them if that makes sense right and you also this is i was saying that there's this falsehood throughout the dream you're also not like look at all the options you could have done 
right? When when she climbed down, you could have said, wait, 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 I, I was I was only ki- I, I wasn't really honest. I'm not an expert. I'm actually quite frightened to be up here, right? You didn't you didn't fess up, so to speak, right? Right. When she comes back and she's a gymnast, you didn't say, wait a second. Okay, I didn't tell the truth about my fear of heights, but you sure as hell didn't tell the truth about being a gymnast. So why did you, why did you do this to me? Right. Right. So there is a, a, a kind of self-censorship, a silencing of the self that goes throughout this whole dream. Right. Yeah. And even the solution. See, I'm always wary when solutions magically appear. And you don't learn anything, right, in dreams. I'm, I'm cautious about this in my own. Because, because you don't know how you get back down to the ground, right? Right. It's, you know, like magic pen Gillette shows up and then, hey, suddenly, what? How, how did I get down? Right. That's not a good sign. What, it, what the dream is telling you is you don't know how to get yourself out of a situation of falsehood. Right. Right. And, and that's really important, because if you don't know how to get yourself out of a situation of falsehood, the only thing that you can do is just kind of keep ignoring things and hope that everyone else will ignore it until it kind of goes away magically, you know? Right. You know, like if, if you, I don't know, I've always had this nightmare that, not a nightmare, I've always had this thought, you know, that I'm going to put some video up there. Um, I'm, I'm completely unconscious. I, I end up picking my nose. <laughs> or something I don't know, uh, and and uh, and and I post the video, and I haven't thought of you know I'm so listening to something or whatever. I just said I just picked my nose or something like that, right? And imagine if I was showing this, you know, to a group of uh, a group of two hundred people, right? And right up there, I'm I'm digging for gold right up to my eyeball, you know, <laughs> up to my elbow, right? And uh, let's say that that showed up there, right? Like like the 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 penis clip in the children's film in in. Um, uh, in Fight Club, right? What would I do? Would I stop the film and say, oh my heavens, that's really embarrassing. I can't believe that I have, you know, sorry for that huge image of me going up to my elbow trying to massage my brain and, you know, through through the, you know, <laughs> fields of boogers. Or, yeah. or would I stop? Or would I just sort of keep going and just, everybody would, ju- we just have to ignore the whole thing and just continue like nothing happened, so to speak, right? I mean, that's, I generally would probably stop and say, okay, well, that was embarrassing. I can't believe that. Do whatever, right? Um, right. That's, that's interesting because a couple of days before that, um, I think it was Rich and I were talking on Skype about, or uh, no, on Twitter about something or other. And I said, you know, somebody asked me a question. I said, you know, well, I don't know. Or it was something where I didn't know the, the answer. And I said that I didn't know. And then, you know, I got this tweet back immediately. Oh, my God, Charlotte doesn't know the answer to somebody. Somebody call the newspapers or, or something like that. And that, I mean, honestly, that actually, that really hurt. Um, because, of of course, it's, like you said, it, it certainly makes sense where that comes from um, with my past, right? But it's anytime somebody says something like that to me it's like you know i'm i'm honestly not trying to make myself out as as the authority on everything like i i know that i do sometimes i'm trying to uh trying to work on it though because that's that's never a comfortable place to be right because it's it's not only it's not only a lie but it's also like holding this 
holding yourself up to this this standard that is impossible for anybody to me is incredibly uncomfortable. Right. No, and I mean, look, I, I, I sympathize and I, I'm, I'm perfectly aware that I could put on a, a sort of dazzling show of, of metaphors and wit and crazy allegories and horrendous sexual references. And, and it would not be a conversation with people, right? I could put on that sort of blazing show, but what I want to do is to engage people. And that means not approaching it as an authority, right? To say, this is my theory. I don't know. I'm an amateur, right? This is just my opinion because I want to engage people and get them to, to, to think and to want to learn rather than to give them information or provide things that I think are true or important or whatever. And, uh, and that's my concern at the end of the dream. At the end of the dream, there's no moral to the story. And if there's no moral to the story in a dream, the dream is telling you that you're not getting something very important because there is no moral, right? It's not a satisfying story. If this were a short story, or whatever, right, a, a fantasy piece, then the, the, the person would say, well, wait a second. <laughs> what do you mean it just, it, it just ends like you're just standing on the ground? That, that, that doesn't make any sense, right? right. And that's because they, they the dream is telling you that you don't know that transition, that you don't know how to back out of a false situation that you've gotten yourself into. And there is, of course, only one way to back yourself out of a false situation that you've gotten yourself into. Right, which is to be you know, completely vulnerable again and say, hey, you know, I've, I've said all this stuff and I was just, I was completely bullshitting you. I'm sorry. Right. Yes. Like, hey, remember that fork in the road about, I don't know, three months back? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, that thing where I said that? I mean, I remember when I uh, was getting my job in, in the daycare. Um, I mean, I was desperate for money, and this was actually one of the better-paying jobs around because I was, uh, my brother and I were, were putting us, uh, well, living, we're paying our own bills and all that, right? So I was only 15, and uh, I had to, uh, and, and I found out halfway through the interview process that you had to be 16, and I wasn't going to be 16, I don't know, for another eight months or something like that to, to get this job. And uh, I mean, I, I, I was in a state of nature. I don't feel bad about it. I mean, society wasn't giving me anything. For me, it was like better than shoplifting, which was my earlier way of dealing with it. But... Um, uh, so I was just like, I'm, what do I have to say to get this job or whatever? And it turned out, so I just lied. And of course I looked older. I always have, cause I had a high forehead back then and all right. But, but, um, I ended up having to go for a chest x-ray. Apparently that's some law. And then the, the chest x-ray, they put my date of birth there. Right. And I said to the woman uh, who was hiring me, uh, on my fourth or fifth interview, I said, listen, here's my chest x-ray, you know, there's my date of birth. I lied about it, but I, I really, I really, I need this job. And I also want this job. I really like kids and kids, uh, they warm to me and blah, 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 blah. Right. And she was fine with it. I think, you know, sometimes that kind of vulnerability with the right kind of person, it can be really, really uh, productive and helpful. And, uh, so I, I got the job and it was a lifesaver and it kept us in, in rent and food for, for quite some time and, uh, got me out of school 20 minutes early every day as well. Cause I told them I had to leave to get a job cause I was paying rent and, Teachers are all like, okay, because, <laughs> you know, they care so much about their students. But um, uh, but but those kinds of situations where you just have to say, look, I, I lied uh, and here's why. I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. Like it's a vulnerable position to be in because when you when you've got the goods on someone, you know, when you when someone has done something wrong to you, that gives you a lot of power over them. Right. It gives when someone says I did wrong to you, I lied to you, I cheated you on you, I did X, Y, and Z. It gives you a lot of power over them. 
And yeah. how people use that power is often not very good at all, not very good at all. And certainly we've had a lot of experience in that, you and I, right, and others in this conversation, that when you have, when you confess a wrong to someone, they can hold it over you for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. And so I don't think you know how to back out of that blind alley, and I think the dream is telling you that your, your only strategy is to focus on other people and not bring up any reality in the situation. Like, I'm stuck here, I'm frozen, I'm terrified, I lied to you earlier, why are you lying to me now? Why are you all doing these tricks when no one's paying you? Why are you all showing off to me about how confident you are in terms of heights when I'm shaking up here on the top of a flagpole? Right? You, you can't say any of those things. You can only be frozen and pretend that <laughs> nothing's happening and until somebody eventually comes along and pretends that nothing's happening and then you're magically down again. But that's nothing that you've learned from the dream. And again, because you're very intelligent, I would assume that this is just due to a blind spot from history. Yeah, totally. Wow, this this has been incredibly helpful. Thank you so much, Steph. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a, it's a great dream, and I, I, I'm, you know, bring them on. It's been months since we've been uh, done dreams for a variety of reasons, but uh, I, I find them fascinating. I think that they're, you know, hugely, hugely important, um, especially the ones that are really vivid that you remember. So, thank you for, for bringing it up. I really appreciate that. Okay. All right. Let's uh, see if we have any other questions, and uh, if not, we can go back to our original female caller. Hello, Steph. Hey. Uh, I wanted to call you because I've been having a lot of trouble recently. Oh, what's up? Um, I've been kind of turning into a jerk, if I could put it that way. You can put it any way that you want. So please go. <laughs> uh, I've been... Uh, like I can tell you at work, uh, I don't have a very good job. I push carts right now, which I guess pays the bills. But uh, like I'll be at work and uh, the little cart pushing machine or whatever can only hold so many carts. And like somebody will be bringing me up a cart, right? And uh, it'll be like um, I'll get angry at them, right? In, in, inside, you know, I'll be fuming and stuff like that because it's like uh, they could put it in the cart corral or whatever because they're closer to it and they decide to be helpful or whatever and they start bringing it to me and uh, I get really mad at them. And sorry, when you say carts, do you mean like shopping carts uh, at a grocery store? Yeah, that's right. Okay, got it. So so let me just make sure I understand it. So you, it's your job to, to gather up these carts and, and make sure that they don't sort of wander off into the parking lot or into the God knows where. But when people are wheeling the cart to you, uh, you feel angry angry at them because, well, we don't know why exactly, but you, you feel angry at them when they sort of try to sort of, quote, help out by bringing you the cart. Is that right? Yeah. If, it, if it's not – if like uh, if they knew the whole situation, they know that it wasn't actually helping me. And so I get mad. And what, sorry, why is it not helping you? Uh, because the uh, cart pushing machine that I use, it's uh, it can only hold so, so many carts, and if it's full, like them bringing me another cart, I just had to reject it or something like that. Right, right, right. Okay, so they think they're being helpful, but but they're not, and you feel very angry at that. Yes. 
Now, as far as jerk things go, that doesn't, and you keep it inside. I guess you're not, you know, bringing down the thunderous curses of Zeus upon their foreheads. But um, right. uh, so, as far as the jerkometer go, I'm going to say that that I'm not sure that that registered much above half a percent. But maybe there's some more that that you'd like to talk about. Uh, yeah. Also, there's uh, some people at work like uh, they are kind of like uh, the coworkers. Some of the coworkers, they're kind of uh, one in particular. She's. Uh, very pushy in her niceness kind of it's like i try to give her i i I don't like her that much and uh but she's pushy in her niceness like i can't seem to get away you know and i've started to like i pass her by and not talk to her at all and stuff like that uh i don't know i'm not putting it very clearly i think uh, no, I think I understand it. Uh, it sounds like you have a pit of darkness, the pit of darkness that is called forth by perkiness and happiness, so to speak. And uh, happiness in a sort of relativistic sense. And and look, I understand that there is that there are those kinds of Pollyanna fixed grin teddy bear. You know, they they wear these uh, uh, the puffy sweatshirts with teddy bears on them, uh, and and they they can bring the darkness out of just about anybody sane. So I, I think it's sort of a, it's, it's what, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds something that that has some some resonance. Yeah. Okay. Um, was there more that you wanted to talk about? Uh, it it seems one one other thing about it. It's not just happy. It seems fake in a way. It seems like, fake uh, in a way. Okay, go on. Like this one woman is like, uh, it, it's it's a grocery store, right? And I know you've talked about this before, like there's a lot of like child abuse going around around the place, right? Do you mean around grocery stores or just in general? Uh, Around grocery stores, like people bring their kids there, right? Uh And they don't treat them very well. That certainly can happen for sure. And a lot of the people that work there, they in the break room, they talk about it like that, right? Oh, like I saw this mother who was dragging her kid or whatever, right? Yeah, and about themselves too, like what they did to their own kids. Oh, right. Okay. And it's like this nice woman or whatever, she, she'll, I'm, I, I don't know how conscious she is of it, but it's like she comforts those people and stuff like that too. And it's like, and the people who bring me the carts, it seems like they're, uh, it, it seems like they're the kind of people that are afraid to not be helpful if they're, if you see them, you know, like if you don't look at them, sometimes they'll not do anything because they feel okay. But if you look at them at all, it's like now they have to bring the cart to you or something like that. So it's like they're it's afraid not, that you might, you know, so, so they're not actually sort of doing it for the sake of being good, but they're doing it because they feel obligated or they're afraid of something negative you might say or think as if they don't do it. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. All right. Can I can I ask you a related question? Okay. Uh, you're a longtime listener, if I understand this rightly, right? Yes. Now, uh, FDR podcasts are not for the intellectually weak or the faint of heart, for sure, right? As as not the case particular to anything I do. It's just that any genuine, real, rubber-on-the-road philosophy requires a staunch heart and a, uh, a deep mind. So what do you do in pushing carts? Help me, help me, step me through that, right? Uh, well, I, I took this job. I, I'll, I'll get to that in a sec, but I, I took this job because I didn't have a job for a while and I was out of money. But I ha- but I've been in it since May or so, and I haven't uh, gotten another job because it's 
I, I'm not sure exactly. It's like I'm afraid to go for an interview or something like that. With uh, I want to get a job in programming or something like that, computers, right, or or IT or something, uh, and I'm afraid to go for an interview. It's like I'm stuck in menial. Like, like there, there's a lot of jobs at grocery stores and like cart pushers, like the lowest one kind of. Yeah, yeah. And before I worked at like, it's like a night cashier at a gas station and stuff like that. It's like I'll choose the most, the worst position possible in like menial job land or whatever. Right. I think that's the real question, because if you're asking how to fix people who work in your grocery store, I have no idea. And, and I don't know that, <laughs> that would even be possible. And I don't know that, that you would be able to come across as a great authority while you're out there being a giant human magnet pulling cards together, right? <laughs> because they're just not going to have a lot of credibility with people. It's like, uh, you know, if that makes any sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So, um, so it, you won't be able to change your environment, at least from where you are, in terms of the people there, right? But I think that the more important question is, why uh, are you pushing carts? And look, there's nothing wrong with pushing carts, right? I mean, you might be uh, sitting there saying, well, I'm, I'm thinking up the, the great American novel while I push my cart or whatever. I mean, that's totally fine. Uh, and I've look, I've had probably more than 12 lifetimes share of menial, crappy, stupid jobs, you know, from the age of eight onwards. But, um, but I think... You're, you're too smart to be pushing carts, right? So the barrier is is something historical and something emotional, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that's, I, I, I don't know what it is, right? And we can talk about it if you like. But rather than okay. saying uh, what, um, uh, you know, how can I enjoy pushing a cart better? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think that that's a, a question that can really be answered sensibly. I think the question is, how can I not be pushing a cart, Right. Yeah, I think that would be good. Right. Now, um, in terms of, like, when you were a kid, <laughs> if we always start there. So when you were a kid, um, children absorb uh, an enormous amount of their future from the expectations of their parents. And it's not firm and fixed and continual and permanent or it's not like you get stuck in a train track, but it definitely is a tendency, like a gravity well or a strong current. Mm-hmm. What possibilities or options were open to you? And they can be completely hypocritical, right? I mean, your parents can be pushing carts saying the really great thing in life is to be a doctor or whatever, right? Um, the one thing that, you know, my, mama, my mother did a lot of things wrong, without a doubt, very wrong, in fact, frankly, illegal. But uh, she did uh, not limit my mind in terms of potential. And she was very proud of the significant intellectual history of her family. Like her her brother won a national prize for poetry and wrote, you know, very well-received books. And uh, her father was uh, a, a great poet and writer. And, and uh, I think one of her uncles was a philosopher, right? So definitely, you know, I, the German-Irish philosophy uh, uh, tangents seem to have sort of collided into me in a hopefully productive way. But she was v- very... Uh, very clear on the uh, creative, artistic, and philosophical nobility, so to speak, that that she came from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in this sort of uh, Jewish German thing. And so, when I wanted to be a writer, or when I wanted to be an actor, or when I wanted to to do all of these various things, um, like I started writing my first novel when I was like eleven or twelve. It was called "By the Light of an Alien Sun," and it had gripping scenes where people kissed in zero gravity and all that. <laughs> Just great, great stuff. And um, actually, it was 
it was read out to the class. The first chapter was read out to the class by my English teacher who got rather embarrassed at my clumsy, youthful attempts at eroticism. But anyway, <laughs> we'll get into that another time. But she did, not, she did not give me a sense of limitation in terms of where my intellect could carry me. Uh, it was never like, you know, hey, Shakespeare, how's that writing coming, you idiot? You know, it was, no, it was nothing like that. Uh, she was uh, 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 open to and, and positive about um, what I could achieve in terms of uh, intellectual or artistic or creative abilities. And I, I, I say that just, just to point out that, uh, you know, some of what I've been able to achieve is, is the result of that, right? I mean, I can't sort of say that there was nothing ever positive that came out of any, anything to do with my parenting. Some of what I've been able to achieve has, has come out of that. And um, so I, the reason I'm, I'm asking you this, or sorry, the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm, I'm sort of curious as to what were the expectations of, and, and all parents have, right, have expectations for their kids, but what were the expectations of you and are you fulfilling them where you are? The expectation, like my dad, he always used to say, like, you, you can get a job as a sports star, not to me, but to my brother, because he was more athletic one, but uh, you can win the lottery. You can, uh, I don't know, do all these things like become a businessman or something. And you can make lots of money or something like that. That was his thing. And when I did the uh, computer programming stuff on my own, it's like it. I, I wouldn't say that it cut into uh, class or homework time or whatever, but because I didn't want to do the homework anyway. But uh, it's like I was banned from it and stuff like that. So it's like uh, I'm sorry, you were banned from what? Uh, using computers, basically. By who? By my father. And how old were you? Uh, it happened repeatedly, but it started like fourth grade, so I don't know. That would have been like. Uh, and why was you? Why were you banned from using computers? Because uh, he thought it cut into my. Uh, he thought that was the reason why I wasn't doing my uh, homework and things like that. Oh, like get off the damn computer because blah blah blah, right? Yeah, something like that. Because I mean, a lot of parents, particularly for those of us who aren't twelve, right? A lot of parents can't differentiate between playing on a computer and learning on a computer, right? Right. Yeah, that's important. I remember being kicked out of a, a, a night school computer class because somebody thought I was playing a game, but I was actually programming the game. And I tried to show them the code and all that, but they're like, no, play, no game playing in here, get out. It's like, but I'm learning, oh. <laughs> right? Um, but uh, I think that's... Uh, so if he didn't understand the difference, then he may have thought time on the computer was, um, you know, you're playing or it's a waste of time or whatever, right? I, I think I'm not sure if you thought that it was more like uh, I have in order to succeed at all in life or something, I have to get good grades. And he went into like a lot of detail, like uh, later on, he told me like specifically to go into the Naval Academy and stuff like that, you know. And it's like uh, it's not necessarily that he cared what I was doing on the computer. Maybe he, he thought it was because he banned me from the library, too, when I was learning there because it was. Sorry, he banned you from the library. Yeah. Okay. And what was his rationale? You're playing at the library? Because it was supposedly that that was the stuff I was, that was what I was doing instead of homework. And he, he was all about, you got to do homework and stuff like that, you know? And he, he like beat me and stuff for not getting good grades because of my homework and stuff like that. That was a big point of contention for him, I guess. And uh, when you say he would beat you, what, uh, what do you mean? Like he would spank me pretty hard and it really hurt. Like uh, bare buttocks or 
Uh, no, it was on? closed on, but bent over the uh, couch or something like that. And um, uh, how many times would he hit you? And would you would you have would it be red? Would you have marks? I yeah, I definitely have marks, uh, and it would be like ten, twelve. To, I don't know. It depended. And um, how how long did this occur for? Yeah. From like fourth grade on to like he stopped eventually like ninth grade or something. I don't know. Eighth grade. You don't. Um, it's not a criticism. I'm just pointing it out. But uh, I mean, as a long time listener, you you bring this up as if it's the detail. You know. I know. What uh, What do you anticipate? That uh, what did you anticipate my response would be or will be? Something about I'm not feeling it. No, I mean in terms of uh, the uh, the the beatings. It is horrible. And do you think it's horrible? Yes. Do you feel that it's horrible? Not right now. And why do you think that is? I have a thought that is something to do with uh, the job or whatever that I'm in, like the child abuse and stuff that I see and stuff like that. And I kind of like, in order to deal with it, I kind of shut it out a bit. Well, not a bit. Right. And um, let me ask you this. I mean, this is not a leading question. I'm just, I'm genuinely curious. Do you think that your father beat you because he wanted to do your homework or for some other reason? For some other reason. Right. And do you know why we know that? Because if he cared about the homework, like, uh, I don't know, I guess he'd probably figure out that the beatings weren't working after several years of doing it and then not working. Well, not several years, right? Yeah. Not several years, right? Yeah, that, that's kind of exaggerating it a bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, I look, if, if I, I mean, just to take a silly example, right? If I want a goldfish uh, and I want my goldfish to live, right, and I keep sprinkling salt into their water instead of food, mm-hmm. and this goes on year after year after year, and I ended up killing hundreds of goldfish, and then I said, well, I fed them salt because I wanted them to be healthy. Right. Would anyone believe me? No. No, that I would buy goldfish because I wanted to kill goldfish. Mm-hmm. And I would feed them salt because I wanted them to suffer before they died, right? Mm-hmm. Because if someone is doing something for year after year after year and not achieving the intended result, then they are achieving some intended result. It's just a different one, right? Mm-hmm. Human beings do not act randomly and they don't act completely pointlessly, right? That's true. So it's more like an excuse, right? In fact, if you had started doing your homework, it probably would have been, my guess, who knows, right? probably would have been something else. I think so. Now, was your father also himself a very disciplined man who did a lot of things that he didn't want to do? Um, as far as, like, uh, getting a lot of stuff done in life, you mean? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in life that is, you know... <laughs> Even in this advanced, pretty 
cushy Western society, there's a lot, a lot of shit you got to do that's just not that much fun, right? You, you got to go to the dentist, you got to do your taxes, you got to get your car oil changed, you got to keep your house clean, you got to do your laundry, you've got to keep up presentation, you got to exercise, you got to eat well, you got to, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that is uh, maintenance crap and it's dull and it's not exciting, and right? Um, so was he, uh, because, because his contention was that you should do uh, the... Um, uh, you should do your homework because it is important to make sacrifices and do things that you don't want to do uh, every day for hours, right? Because kids get homework hours these days. Right? Every day you need to do hours, of, uh, spend hours doing things that you don't want to do for the sake of, of the greater good of your life, right? Mm -hmm. And did, did he do that? Did he show you by example how productive it was to do lots of things that you don't want to do in order to get the things that you want? No. And how do you know that? Um, he, well, the house was a mess a lot of the time. And I mean, if he was, if uh, there was a house, I mean, the house was a mess. Uh, I don't know. I guess he got the, uh, I guess he kept the cars running or whatever. I don't know. I'm feeling confused or something. And I don't know. My thoughts are scattered. All right. No, it's, uh, it's important. It's important. It's important to ask these questions because that's how we get to the core of what is actually happening. People who harm us will always come up with a reason why they've harmed us, right? Mm -hmm. they, will always tell us, they will always tell us why they've, uh, they've harmed us. So they're doing these things that are harmful, right? So he said, I, I wanted to teach you discipline. I wanted you to do your homework. I wanted you to learn that you have to do things in life that you don't want to do, right? But of course, beating a child is so fucking self-indulgent that it's hard to accept that anyone would say defer gratification while beating a child, because beating a child is the exact opposite of deferring gratification. It's indulging in rage and frustration and hurtful behavior. It is completely self-indulgent. So to expect to teach a child anything about self-discipline while being incredibly self-indulgent as an aggressive and angry parent is insane on every level, in my opinion. That makes a lot of sense. And that's why I asked. Like, he's not going to be disciplined in the rest of his life. He's going to be self-indulgent. The place is going to be a mess. Because abuse, fundamentally, is pathetic self-indulgence. It's pathetic and immoral self-indulgence. Mm -hmm. But it is lazy. Abuse is lazy. It is not having the sternness with yourself to not act out against an innocent, your own frustrations and anger. It is lazy. It is self-indulgent. It is the opposite of deferring gratification for the sake of a greater good, which is why hurting children, yelling at them, beating at them, punishing them, teaches them nothing but laziness and evasiveness, self-indulgence, fear of consequences, anger to and fear of authority, and absolutely ensures their greater likelihood of getting stuck at the lowest rungs of society. Mm -hmm. Does that sort of make any sense? Yeah. To, to, to create a fear of authority in children means that children can't get a, when they become adults, have a great deal of difficulty getting over the hump of situations where they're genuinely and productively vulnerable to people in authority. Like the last call of the therapist, uh, like yourself, with the idea of getting a job, right? It's got to be terrifying for you. Yeah. Right? Because you have had carved into the very base of your brain 
this fear of authority. Yeah. And so going to a job interview is submitting yourself to a situation that is like putting your hand in a blender, right? Yeah, it is. So, I mean, I really, uh, I'm not, I, I know that I'm, <laughs> but I really uh, sympathize, hugely sympathize with the effects of this kind of uh, violence. And it is violence. The effects of it. I don't know if you've gone to nosebank.net, but read that stuff. Uh, it's really important because when we've gone through traumatic situations, we will so often internalize it as a character flaw. And why? Because it's always justified with reference to our character flaws, right? We are being beaten because we are bad, right? And so we internalize the effects of these, this kind of violence as a character flaw. Oh, I'm just nervous around authority, or I can't concentrate, or I have difficulties with that, or I have these strange resentments, I must be a resentful person, I must be an angry person, I'm insecure, I'm this, I'm that, and that's all crazy. It's all crazy. You know, that this is all pretty scientifically well documented, that it has huge effects. Violence against children has huge effects on the brain. I mean, if he, I mean, this is an extreme example, but if, if your father had broken your leg and it, ne- it had never set properly because it didn't take you to a doctor and you had a limp and you tried to run but couldn't, nobody would say, well, you're just too lazy to be a good runner, right? I mean, they could say it, but it would be insane, right? Right. In the same way that we don't say to an epileptic, for God's sake, pull yourself together and stop shaking, right? It's embarrassing. Or we don't say to somebody with Tourette's, that's very inappropriate what you just said, Right. Because we recognize that these are physiological disturbances. Right. And to my admittedly amateur understanding of the science, and you can listen to, I don't know if you've listened to this recent show that I did with um, Stuart Schenker, this professor of psychology and philosophy at York University, but, you know, read some of his stuff. I'll, I'll gather, gather together and post some of these videos on the board. You know, that it, it, it changes. It changes who you are. Violence fundamentally changes your brain it changes who you are the experience of violence from an authority figure as a child during critical areas and elements and sequences of brain development changes who you are as surely as a badly set bone changes how you walk okay it changes who you are don't take the ownership of a character flaw for that which is the result of violence okay I know that doesn't wave a wand and solve it all, right? But I hope that it it eases to to some degree some burden in your mind. That it it is not a character flaw that leaves you frightened to get a better job. It's not a character flaw. It's not a character flaw that you're resentful of people who try to help. It's not a character flaw that you're hypersensitive to hypocrisy and angry at hypocrisy. Because I think we've just talked about your dad and some reasons as to why that might be the case. It is not a character flaw. That doesn't mean that you just sit there and say, well, hey, you know, this is the way that I am. And right, I have this limp, so I never need to go to physiotherapy. I never need to strengthen that leg. Right. But you need to see it for what it is before you can change it, because you can't change. You can't change something with the same thinking that Cause the problem. You can't solve the problem with the same thing to cause the problem. In other words, if abuse or attacks against you as a person causes this problem, then internalizing that to self-attack only exacerbates the problem. It is a continuation. It is saying, well, my dad's not hitting me, so let me do it myself, right? That is not going to solve the problem. That's why it's very important to put the moral blame where it is, which is on the parent, to be gentle with yourself, to accept that you have a different brain. 
and I'm, it's, it's genuinely tragic. Like I, I feel so sad about the degree to which people's brains are altered by this kind of violence. It is absolutely tragic, and it is a sword through the heart of the world. It is a bare claw across the face of the world. The, the way in which people's brains are carved by exposure to these levels of, of aggression, it is unbelievably tragic. It is the absolute root of why everything from why there's wars in the Middle East, why there's extraordinary renditions, why there's torture in Guantanamo Bay, and why you, who have a brain half the size of a planet, are pushing a cart around in a grocery store parking lot. It is tragic. It is absolutely tragic the degree to which this has... Uh, scarred the soul of humanity and continues to do so. But please, please, please don't do it to yourself when it doesn't have to be that way. If you read up on the effects of violence upon the psyche, if you read up on the effects of violence upon brain development, of trauma upon brain development, I think that you will find a space to be gentle with yourself, to be concerned with yourself, to be kind to yourself for the effects of what has happened to you. Does that make any sense? Uh, yes, it does. Thank you. Anyway, I've done a lot of talking, and I, I, I just really wanted to, to get that across, but I, I do want to sort of hear from, from you about what you think about, about what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> it, it's like I've, I don't know, I feel kind of self-attacking right now, I guess. I don't know. Go on. It's like I've, you know, I've been here for a while at FDR and stuff like that. And it's like, I've heard all this stuff and, it's, you know, I'm starting to say, like, and I still haven't done it and or whatever, put it into practice or whatever. Right. But you understand that that inability to translate theory to practice is also a result of the violence that you experienced as a child. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you understand? So, so to say, well, I've, I know all of this stuff, but I haven't been able to do it. Well, as a child, if you were in a situation of, of repeated violence, as you say, for many years, then you're going to have a huge degree of difficulty putting theories into practice because you're afraid of the violence. We, we can't put things from theory into practice when we're in a state of, of violence. It's like coming up with a business plan when you're in trench warfare in World War I. It wouldn't make any sense. It's like, I just need to get through the next goddamn 10 minutes or half hour or hour or beating. Yeah. It's what it's like, yeah. So I hope, please don't self-attack yourself for not putting this stuff into practice because that failure, that, that lack of, of connection between theory and practice, that's, that's a physical connection. That's a physical connection in the brain. That is not a matter of willpower or character. You can develop it, you can change it, but never, 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 never by self-attack. You can't grow by self-attack any more than you can beat a child into doing his homework. Sorry, I'm saying <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean I'm, I'm, I'm not yelling at you. I'm really just trying to be really emphatic. You, you cannot grow by attacking yourself any more than you can beat a child into being good. That makes a lot of sense. And any time you have that urge, which is, you know, it's even the urge to self-attack is not a character flaw when you grow up with violence. And if you grow up with violence, you will have an urge to self-attack. Why? Because you've been attacked so often, you have to internalize it to feel like you have some control, to feel like you have some authority, to feel like you have some protection. You can do it to yourself. Because also, if you do it to yourself, if you self-attack, you might be, you are often less likely to be physically attacked. If you get yeah, mad at yourself, true. you're less likely to be beaten, right? Yeah, that happened, yeah. And your your brain is 
trying to protect your body because the brain is plastic and can heal. The body cannot in the same way, right? It does. So e- e- even the self-attack is self-protection and, and was healthy and was, was good and was useful and was essential to survive. It's just how you survived. And I think you should be respectful of how you did survive. And I think you should honor the choices that you made to survive. Because although it sucks to be pushing carts in a parking lot, it beats a lot of the alternatives when we as children are faced with violence that can get out of control, right? If we defy, if we defy, if we defy, what happens? Well, we all know deep down what happens, right? That it can really escalate. Yeah. So I, I would look upon my brain as a broken leg that never set, and there's things that I can do about it. Rehab is painful, but I can learn to walk straight and strong again, and I can be even stronger than if my leg had never broken. But I'm not going to blame myself for someone who broke my brain. I'm not going to blame myself for someone who broke my brain. I'm going to try and fix it. I'm going to be angry about it. But I'm not going to blame myself for somebody else who broke my mind. Because I can fix it, but never by self-attacking, because that's what broke it in the first place. Okay. Thank you very much for this stuff. Listen to it again if you can. I mean, I'm sure you will, but but listen to it again, you know, in a, in a peaceful place, maybe in a dark room holding someone's hand, you know, with gentleness, with curiosity, with a sense of wonder about how the future can be so different from the past and with, with very, very gentle uh, concern for yourself and your history. I, I think that's so, so important. The, the gentleness with ourselves as, as victims is, is essential, essential. It's the only way to break the cycle of violence, which is all around the opposite of gentleness. We have to do, we have to combat this with the antidote. We have to combat aggression, not with more aggression, not with more self-attack, not with more bullying of ourselves, but with the exact opposite, with the exact opposite, which is the kindness and gentleness and curiosity that we tragically did not experience. We can bring it to ourselves and we can bring it in the future to our own children. That's how it all changes. All right, I'll definitely listen to it. Thank you. All right, and uh, do do keep us posted about about how that goes. And and you know, my sympathies again, but it's it's not about people helping you in a parking lot. It's so much deeper, and there's so many ways forward from there. But again, just be as gentle as you can and and move forward from there. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, man. And thank you, everybody, 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 always, all the time for uh, your support to the subscribers, to the donators, to people who've helped out with the website, to people who post all the wonderful stuff on the message board. Thank you, everybody, so much for uh, participating in this most amazing conversation in the world, in my opinion. Uh, I think that's more than an opinion. In the, the greatest philosophical conversation the world has ever seen. I think it is just magnificent. Uh, and... Um, uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak with people. Thank you so much to the people who call in and uh, provide such honest and open uh, thoughts and feelings. I really, really do appreciate it. And uh, have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week. And uh, I will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>